Nehemiah chapter 10. We're going to read verse 30, then verse 32 to the end of the chapter, of verse 39 of chapter 10. We're continuing from last week. Continuing from last week. Nehemiah chapter 10, let's look at verse uh, 30, and then I'm going to skip over to verse 32 because we dealt with the other verses. In the chapter, verse 30, it says, We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Uh, We take on ourselves the obligation, say on ourselves, um, uh, to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings, plural, to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our fathers' houses at times appointed, year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and first fruits of all fruit of every tree, year by year, to the house of the Lord. Also, to bring to the house of God, to the priests who minister in the house of God, of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect tithes in all our towns where we labor, and the priest, the the uh, son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes, uh, receive the tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes of the house of God to the chamber of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. Uh, Again, we're going to do part two today uh, of Rebuilt Through a Sacrificial Commitment. Father, we thank you, honor you for the opportunity to reflect Christ's sacrifice for us, to reflect the life that he lived and died the death that he died and given us this edict, if you will, to have lives that reflect his sacrificial death on the cross. And so, God, um, today, as we dive into the scriptures and seek to be better believers and more uh, proficient in our commitment to you, God, uh, we, we, we need you to grace us with the strength to commit to you the commitment that we know that you deserve and want from us, God. And so help this time to be transformational. Help it not to just be some type of religious ritual, but help it to be a divine meeting with you in the scriptures. Holy Spirit, will you 
Will you saturate our hearts and change our hearts? Will you fill us with yourself, Lord God? Will you control us? Will you crack excuses open? Every excuse that we have, God, to say I can't commit to you more intimately, more deeply, will you break us, God? Will you destroy every desire in us to build our lives around ourselves, Lord God? Lord God, be a monument in our life. Be a transformer in our lives. Be a burden bearer in our lives, Lord God, and help us to help us to break beyond the excuses and, Lord God, renew our covenant in the new covenant with you so that our lives will never be the same, that we'd never be the same, that we'd never be the same, that we'd never be the same again because of the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. Meet with us today in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody agree with that? Say it. Amen. 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 You may be seated. As we go through this passage, we see that and as we've gone through this series on Rebuilt to Build, we've come to this section where God is working uh, heavily on his people to help them because they are in a relationship with him to recommit their lives to walking in what it means to be faithful to him. Now, the issue is this uh, being faithful to God and walking with God doesn't make God love you more. Let, let me say that again. God is going to love you. God loves you as much as he's ever going to love you. And so you don't, there's nothing you do to impress God. There's nothing you do to get one up on anybody or up on God. Why? Because God centers his pleasure on Jesus Christ. So if you know Jesus Christ, God has all the pleasure he wants and ever needs through Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is a part of himself. Now, the pleasure that he gets out of our lives because of obedience is because of the Christ in us, living through us, giving the aroma of grace and power and strength and sacrifice to him. So as I go through this, I, I, I want you to recognize that Christ has already labored for you. So you're not trying to get more righteous. You're trying to live out the righteousness that God already gave to you in Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So now we have become the righteousness of God. In other words, we become trophies of righteousness. A trophy is something to show you that something was won and something should be celebrated. And, it all, and every time you look at it, it is a reminder of an accomplishment. Every time you look at your life and every time God looks at your life and sees Jesus, it's a trophy of his righteousness that reminds him of the accomplishment that he did through Christ on the cross by reconciling us to himself. So in light of that reality, there's a rich commitment that God has given. Because of this commitment and because of this relationship, God calls us to commitment. And so we've been going through kind of these sectors of commitment, if you will, because our first, our first and only point was sacrificial commitment demands costly trust. That's what we talked about last week, and we talked about it in several areas. The first area we talked about it in was formal commitment. Say formal commitment. The second area of our life that we talked about was communal commitment. Say communal commitment. Of course, that communal commitment <coughs> points to you committing your life to Christ and his people. Amen, somebody. But then we talked about last week, we also talked about faith uh, commitment. We talked about faith commitment. So we're going through the last two uh, this week uh, 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 in, in relation to sacrificial commitment. We're going to go through family commitment. 
Uh, and then we're going to go through financial or fiscal commitment. Faith commitment and financial commitment. Can you say that? Faith commitment? Financial commitment. Now, it's going to feel like two sermons, but it's not. It's kind of under the umbrella of sacrificial commitment through covenant renewal. Are you tracking with me? And so, and so because of this, it's as if the people of God in this text are renewing their vows to God. Vow renewal is to remind you of the initial commitment that a relationship began with so that you can hold yourself accountable to what it means to walk in covenant agreement by the covenant that you did at first. And so the people of God are here <coughs> in this passage, and they're, and they're committing themselves to this. And so, and, so, and so now we're in verse 30, in family commitment. I like this verse. This is a nice, good old-fashioned, masculine verse. <coughs> it is a husky, male, spiritual verse. So ladies, don't feel left out. I'm going to touch on, 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 on issues for you from this text as well. But this is a very, very important section because it says here, it says, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land and or take daughters for our sons. This is interesting because God had already called the people in uh, Exodus 34. He said, when you go into the land, I don't want you marrying unsaved people. Because if you marry unsaved people, it's going to skew your commitment to me. And so, and so, and so, and so, and so, what what the fathers are doing is because they had messed this up so bad. Is the the women are kind of involved, but the men stand for the family. I wish I had some help. And, and what the men did right there is they, they said, I, "I'm going to stand in par covenantally for my family, and I'm committing myself as a man uh, that I'm not going to just give my daughter to any old dude." Oh, my God. And I'm not going to give my sons away to any old chick. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk in covenant protection. Somebody say covenant protection. That, that means that the father was responsible for making sure that there was a spiritual legacy in the family. He was up on legacy and not laziness. So, so, so therefore, these protectors became beastly men of God. Um, whether they frail physically or whether they're muscular like Arnold Schwarzenegger in, in, in his greatest movie. It doesn't matter which place they're in. But, but you can be a physical specimen to behold, but in your soul be a spiritual punk. I wish I had help. And so what he's doing right here is the men are saying, we're not going to punk out God. God, we stand up, and you can see a cluster of men in their linen ephods and in their burlap outfits and their sandals, and they're standing in the rocks in Jerusalem, and they're standing there, and they're saying, we're going to man up, and their family is flanking them. The women are holding little ones, and, and their sons are standing there, and their daughters are standing there. And in front of their entire family, they're making one of the greatest commitments that they could make, and that is to make sure that their people, that their children love God. They wanted to make sure that their children knew God and understood God. It wasn't just about the marriage itself. That's not what it was about. It was about the trajectory spiritually that you were setting up to make sure that your daughters won, that your sons won. That means that dudes can't just walk up on your daughter. I, I, I'm by myself at this gathering. But anyway, but, 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 I'm, but I'm trying to let you know that these weren't no sucker dudes. You know what I'm saying? Be, be, because, because what they wanted to make sure of is when Boo Boo with the six-pack came from around the corner with his sagging jeans and his hat backwards, he ain't mad about that. But, but, but the daughter says, you have to talk to daddy. 
Wish I had some help. You have to talk to my guardian. In other words, she didn't say, well, you, you, um, give me your number. I'm going to chop your number and my number, and then I'm going to call you. And when you call you, you chop my name. My name is Shaquita, Shaquita Jones Jenkins. That's my name. Trap it in. All right, when you want to go out, girl, you know what I'm saying? I'm, you know what I'm saying? Wow, bam, look at shorty thing. Boom, boom. Man, I'm going to call you, all right? I'm going to call you. Yeah, we're going to talk. And you all up on some 2 o'clock in the morning ministry. I wish I had some help on the phone. I know I'm by myself. And you're laying on your bed, and you know how you do. You're like this on your bed, and you know. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. And then you, and then you, and then the old school, you spin the phone around like this, and you be like this on the bed. I know. I know. <laughs> You're so crazy. <laughs> You're so crazy. You think you're on Mac or something, don't you? See? And then all of a sudden, you're emotionally locked in. Because he got you now. But, but, but there is no authority that gave him access to the house. But you've let a wolf come around your authority figure. Wish I had some help. See, because the father is the door to the household, just as Jesus is the door to the sheepfold. Jesus says, I am the door in John 10 to the sheepfold. And if anybody comes in any other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he gonna have to Jesus, not this punk Jesus, you see like this. He's standing at the door saying, come on up to the door if you want to. I'm a cold clock you wolf. What? He got the wolf boom! Hit him and boom. Listen. Listen, let me tell you something. Man up. Now some of y'all saying, now some of y'all saying, well you know, I'm single now. I need to know. You need to know it now. You need to know it now because he's coming after your daughter. And that means you need to be pouring into her, giving her value through Jesus so that she knows her value before boo-boo knock on the door. Because when you, see, this will tell you, and what you do is you take her, you take him on a date with your wife. You say, come on, you want to holler at my daughter? Man, I ain't going on no date with you. You paying for both our meals. We're going to Capitol Grill downtown. You're going to pay for it. You got a job. You got a job. Ride your bike. Ride your bike. I, I'll drive, but come on. Come on. <coughs> Catch us up. Catch us up. The, broad, the dolphin Susquehanna. We're going to drive down. We're going to go on down to Tennessee. We're going to sit there, and, and we're going to ask you some questions. Are you saved? I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, I love the Lord. You know, I go to church. And that ain't saved. Are you saved? Okay, you got that right. Okay, the gospel. Okay, you gave me the Okay, cool. What's your trajectory for my daughter and your plans for her? I know I'm by myself. And he says, well, I, I mean, what you mean? He said, it, you know, you're acting like I want to marry you or something. I'm just trying. Oh, what? What you say? Now, y'all don't know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say something else. I'm going to say what? All right? So I'm just telling you. Pastor going to turn the table over like Jesus in the temple. And I'm going to grab Shorty by his shirt and hold him up like this. I'm going to say, what's your plans for my daughter, dog? And I got a license to carry. Bay, bay, bay. I'm just playing, bae. I'm just playing. You know, I got to tell my wife I'm just playing. I got to scare him. Because you need, you need a shepherd at home. You need a leader at home. You need a man up dude at home. You need somebody that ain't going to let just anybody come into the crib. And he's going to tell his sons, son, you ain't going to just be smashing skins on the block. I said it. Listen. 
Listen, I'm just telling y'all, this is what the Bible is teaching us about godly men. Godly men are concerned and they're nosy into the lives of their children. Talking about my door closed and all of that. Don't be busting in my room. You ain't paying no bill for this. I found this in your drawer. You're going through my stuff? Find what you bought in the drawer. The house is dad's and the fullness thereof and all that's contained in it. <laughs> I'm just saying. Don't be talking crazy to me. I'll slap you into two streets over. All right? My sons know. And so I'm a love on them, but they're going to grow up. And I want to see the father wanted to protect the sanctity of Christian legacy from generation to generation. That's why he was so hard on it, and that's why these men are standing up, committing themselves to making sure that their children were presented with covenant principles so that when they met somebody that agreed with covenant principles, they would allow them to exchange vows. And when the father in our culture gives the daughter away, he knows, he knows that Negro, I mean, that joker right there, that Negro. <laughs> I said Negro, didn't I? I said Negro. That's on the podcast. Y'all pray for pastor, because this is one of them areas for me, so pray for me. Sorry, my whites and everybody else. <laughs> but I'm just saying, we're going to recover from that. <laughs> but I'm just letting you know, there has to be, there has to, you got to get your stinky face on as a man. Listen, and you got to want to do this, and you got to be committed to it because Christ protects us like that. It's so christ -in. It's not christ -in it to be no punk dude, no sucker. Well, I don't know who she's dating. You know, when they become teenagers, I don't want to get too involved in their life because that will make them, you know, reject, you know, and that will be, that'll be this, this, and I don't want to get too close. I just want to kind of let, they'll let me in their lives where I can fit in. Okay. You be passive with your children's lives if you want to. That doesn't mean you try to control their lives. That's God's job. And so this is what men are supposed to do. Men are supposed to have a divine trajectory that God has given them to be able to potently walk through these principles together. So that's why he says we are not giving our sons and daughters away. We're not giving them to, we want to give them, we want them to be believers and we want to give them to a believing clan. You see, um, you see um, Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. <laughs> now, 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 Solomon was a big old player, all right? He was more of a player than baby. You know, I know y'all know who it is, Birdman. Um, y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, um, he was more than a player than Neo, you know. Um, and all of that, you know, he was more of a player uh, than D'Angelo, you know. He was more than a player. Um, um, uh, what's the boy out of Virginia, Richmond, Virginia? What's the boy's name? Chris Brown to him, him. What's the other dude from Virginia? He said, Chris Brown. Oh, my God. I saw you. I saw you. I ain't going to look over there, though. I saw you. Oh, my God. You get, get, get this sermon, girl. Listen. But anyway, and so, and, and, and so what, what, they, what, they, what they pride themselves off of it's how much of a player they are. They pride themselves off of that. And so Solomon, ain't nobody played, played like Solomon. Money had a crib with multiple rooms and a 600 chicks 
from all over the world. He was a player from the Himalayas, right? And so, and, and so money had all, he provided for them and all of this. But the text says that the women turned his heart away from God. And when his heart got turned away from God, he began to, to please them by making room in his life for idols that he would have never served. Why? Because the marital covenant and the relational covenant and, and a desire to have more created in his life a dissatisfaction with God, but a satisfaction with himself. And so what they want to do, what they want to do is they want to fight against this reality. I got to move. But they, they wanted to fight against this reality. And these men wanted to be manly men in their application of this. And that's why he tried to teach his son Rehoboam. From Proverbs chapter 1 to Proverbs chapter 7. And he taught him in chapter 1 against gang relationships. He talked to his son about gangs a long, long time ago. Bad people. People are going running capers and, and stealing chariots back then, but cars today. And, 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 and then in chapter 2, he talks to him uh, about, about wisdom crying out in the streets. In other words, he gave him street smarts. In chapter 3, he taught him about trusting the Lord. He continued the legacy in chapter 4. In chapter 5 through 7, he taught him about hoochie mamas versus holy mamas. And when he did that, when he did that, he taught him about how some chicks are going to look booming. And he says, son, I don't care how good she looks, she's not in covenant with God. He said, and he begins walking. But he said, this is how you get a wife. And this is how you walk with your wife. This is how you love your wife. In other words, there is this trajectorial sense by which he's committing himself to making sure that his son had a redeemed philosophy of life. It's your desire, your goal. You have, no matter what direction, men, your family and your children go, you have to do all of your part to be able to walk in this and lead in this. Now I got, I got to move. I got to move. I got to move. But then, they, then he went to financial commitment. Say financial commitment. Now this financial commitment was interesting because it has several layers to it. It, it, it had a lot of beautiful layers to it. And one of the things that, 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 I'm, that I'm ashamed of as a church is that we didn't talk about giving enough. We, we stopped talking about giving not enough because, because so many of the so many, so many, there's been so many abuses about giving that we were disobedient to God and didn't teach on it to make you feel more comfortable. And so God said, I, don't, don't, don't stop teaching. I know that's a double negative. Don't stop teaching what I've told you to teach in the scriptures because it's been taught in a way unbiblically. And so here in this passage, he begins talking to them about their giving as a commitment. So these are the sectors of their lives that they're recommitting to. And it's for very important reasons. It says, we also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly. I like this. Because they take upon themselves, <coughs> meaning they made themselves responsible for it. In other words, nobody put a thermometer on the wall and said, this is our faith goal for this year. And... We're trying to get up here. We're right down here at the bottom of the thermometer. All they did was say, this is what we need. This is what the kingdom needs. Can you give it? And that's, what, that's how it began to happen in this passage. So they obligated themselves. In other words, they made themselves personally and covenantally responsible for it. They didn't leave it up to the Levites and the priests and the temple sharers to be able to make sure that they got it done, but they were willing to get this done. And it says, and year by year, a third part of a shekel, for the service of the house of God, for the showbread. Say showbread. <laughs> now, the showbread uh, is a.k.a. The, the bread of presence. The bread of presence was a representation of God's provision 
in the wilderness to give them manna from out of heaven and to preserve that manna. And they would do it week by week by week. It would be 12 loaves of bread, and they would line it up in two parts, six and six. And this bread was called the bread of presence because it represented the presence of God among his people, but it also represented God's, uh, uh, God's provision for the people. Now, it's interesting, before they got deep into giving, that God talked to them, or they put an, uh, the, the principle of, uh, uh, of provision in front of financial commitment, because recognizing that everything you got comes from God, it doesn't come from you. I'm going to say that again. Everything you have, everything you got comes from God and not from you. Because it comes from God and not for you, the bread of presence reminded of that provision. Because of that provision of the bread of presence, it motivates, that is, the presence of God in your life should motivate your giving, not your giving motivates God's presence. Let, let me say that again. Because some people make promises about giving that God already gives without giving, but we give because God has provided, not merely to get. So therefore, we have the showbread representing the beauty of Christ's presence or God's presence among us. And in light of that, Jesus Christ was, was the ultimate showbread because he showed up and he says, I am the bread of life that ultimately comes down from heaven. So in other words, I will, I will fully and comprehensively provide nutrition for you. But then it begins to walk through verses 33. This is for the showbread. He says the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings, plural, to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of God. So, uh, and so what's interesting here is that now it begins to talk about the seven high days or the seven holy days during the course of that particular year. But one stands out in particular. And so, so, so remember, they're providing the resources to make sure that these pictures of Jesus are proclaimed. Keep that in your mind. They're providing resources to make sure these pictorials of who Jesus is is proclaimed. And, and all, I don't have time to go through all of these, um, but I'll go through one of these holy days, and I want to go through a sin atonement to make Yom Kippur. Say Yom Kippur. Now, now this sin atonement was interesting because it was, <laughs> it was once a year, and the high priest, of course, went in, with a rope tied around his ankle. He went into the holies of holies. If he died, they'd pull him out. If everything was okay, he'd walk out. And he'd make atonement for the people of God every year. And there were sub-sin sacrifices that happened in the different towns because Levites and, 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 and would eventually become synagogues were stationed in all of these different small towns where the children of Israel were. Are you tracking with me? And so in light of that, make atonement points to two things. It points to propitiation. Propitiation? In expiation. Yeah, I'm gonna, let's put on our thinking caps. Uh, 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 propitiation means that the sin offering was to satisfy the wrath of God. God's holiness on fire is his wrath. That means that his holiness has been violated. But when a sin offering is given, it removes, listen, it removes the wrath of God. In other words, God backs up. That means his wrath has been extinguished. But it also means, um, uh, with him being satisfied, expiation means that the guilt of sin is removed. That means the guilt that you feel because of your sin 
is removed from you, and therefore you're able to enjoy koinonia and fellowship with God all over again. And so they provided these, these things for them to be able to be in relationship with them. But they had to do these. Notice it says sin offerings, plural. So that means they had to do it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And they provided the resources for, for their sins and for the sins of those who would come into the nation. But this is dope because Romans chapter 16, verse 10 says, for, for the death he died, that is Jesus, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Uh, Hebrews 7:27. he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and those of the people. And since he did this, once for all, when he offered himself up for us. Hebrews 9, 12, he entered once for all into the holy places. Hebrews 9, 26, for then he would have had to uh, suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by his sacrifice. Last but not least, Hebrew 10, 10. Hebrews 10.10. 10, it says, and by that will, that is God's will, we, will have, we have been sanctified through the suffering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So now Christ has died once for all. And now, therefore, we no longer have to create and continue to walk in a repetitious of sacrifices, but he's paid it all. What does this have to do with giving? It has everything to do with it. Because it points to Christ giving his life for us, but it also points to something beautiful. It points to us resourcing and making sure, not that the sacrifice happens, but that the sacrifice is proclaimed. That means your giving must go to missionary efforts of the community of Christ. That, that means your resources must be, us. the centrality of our resources must go to the proclamation of the gospel locally, nationally, and internationally <coughs> is how it would apply to us. But then it goes down, and he says several times, he says in verse, <coughs> he, says in, he says in this verse, he says in verse, verse 35, he says first fruits. He says first fruits again. Then later on, he'll say in verse 36, he'll say firstborn. Um, in verse 37, he'll say first, and so forth and so on. What does that mean? It means best. It means That means that you don't use your resources and think of what you're going to get and what you need first. But you decide before you even pay your bills what you're going to give the Lord. Now, some of y'all are saying, but nah, I, do I give off the gross of the net? If you ask me that question, you've missed it. If you're asking how, how, in other words, you're not really asking about the gross of the net. You're really asking about how much less can I give? And see, if you have to ask that, it's getting real quiet now. Y'all was all hype on the men part and all of that, but it's gotten real quiet on the giving. The family was all right, but the finances done changed. Ch folk getting sleepy now. I ain't never seen some folk sleep at the, a little like this because you're not interested in, in sacrificial living. And, and God is wanting you. God is wanting us to, to take the resources that he's given us. And that, and that we may use it for kingdom mission. And that we would think about that first. That that would be a first primary piece in our life. You pay God, pay yourself, and pay everybody else. Pay God, pay yourself, pay everybody else. Pay God, pay yourself, everybody else. But we put him first in the sense of central because we say we're going to give. Now, somebody say, well, things are tight, still give. Listen, I've never, 
I remember when I was in ministry, early in ministry, my first job was $700 a month. $700 with a wife. Y'all got real quiet. We gave minimum 10% or more, minimum. And, 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 and what's so funny is I can't remember us missing anything. 1996, I'll never, 1997, I'll never forget it. And I had to get another job, get two jobs. And it was tighter than a mug. But I said, and, and with tears in our eyes, we said, Pacquiao. And then God was just, make, I don't even know how he took care of us. All I know is we were taken care of. And, and the beauty of giving, and the, it's, the, it's an old idiom, but it's so true. You can't beat God giving. You, you, you cannot beat God giving. I once was young. I can say that now for real, for real. And now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Some of y'all are clinching. Listen, God can't bless, like my mama said, a closed hand. Listen, and God didn't give the angel Gabriel. He didn't get an archangel Michael. He gave heaven's best. So he led out by giving himself. And Jesus Christ was in, not in heaven in his person for the first time in the history of the Godhead. For us. Oh, it's getting real quiet. It's still quiet. And he gave himself for us. So he's the best of God's. And so if God can sacrifice his best for us, why can't we sacrifice our best for him? I ain't trying to twist your arm. I'm just trying to preach gospel center giving. <laughs> because, because if you're motivated by the gospel, it just doesn't matter. I'm going to get ready to close with this one. Because it's so much I could go through, but I'm just going to go through this last verse. Verse, we're going to go through the last part of verse 39. It says, it says, we will not neglect the house of our God. Th that's what it boils down to. The house of God is not a building. It's a people. It's a people. It's not a, it's not a facility. Facilities facilitate, but it's, but it's a people. And, and, and as we give and as we resource, our desire is to make sure that the saints are edified, God is glorified, lost people are evangelized, and the enemy's horrified. That, that's our goal. And so, and so, and so, and so that, and so that means that means that our giving is going to be zoomed in on a lack of neglect. And so, I'm challenging us as a church to begin. If you have been walking in neglect, we're not going to get a five dollar line. I'm not going to say, me and my wife, we're going to start off with an offering of hundred dollars. And if anybody want to match, we ain't going to do all of that. Obligate yourself. Obligate yourself based on the gospel. Well, it's the gospel. So if it's the gospel, I don't have no. The gospel demands obligation because faith is an obligation and a heart commitment. And so, and so we want to make sure that there's nothing missing here, nothing missing here. We, we need more staff. We want to plant more churches. We want to get the facility in shape to be able to uh, facilitate more gospel mission. There are people in need. There, 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 there are so many things that we can be working on, and we need the people of God to commit. Stop. Now, there, even though God doesn't curse us with a curse based on Malachi th uh, 3 for not giving because Christ became a curse for us, therefore, he's, he was stood on the cross, all of the curses of God on our behalf. And so, so, so we're not cursed with a curse. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. That's the principle there. 
And so, and so the issue is this, and this is the motivating principle that I'm praying, is that we would stop robbing God's kingdom. That you would stop robbing God's kingdom and you'd start giving. And you know, I don't have to point people out and we don't have to do, like, have everybody's name up on the wall and their amounts or in the bulletin who gave and didn't give and how much. You know, I've seen that tactic. We're not going to do that. We want you to face the Lord. Because you're going to have to give an account for everything. And there are many of y'all that have not been giving. But you're the biggest complainer. It's gonna, the, the end going to be a little rough. And some of y'all the biggest, y'all got, I remember, I remember, I could, oh, this dude gave me spellbinderness. I just said that instead of another word. Just craziness as a pastor. And so I, 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 I you know, and the guy wanted to be a leader. And I said, I said, I said, um, I said, pull the giving records on money for me. Y'all know I don't usually do that, but pull the giving records on. Now, y'all look a lot like, what's going on, pastor? Keep looking. Because um, he was giving, he, he knew all his theology, talking all this smack. I said, okay. Pull the giving records on him. I just want to see a couple things. I want to see his character, and I want to see his money, and I want to see several things. So, Because that's, that's a measure for me. You run in your mouth. So when, if you run your mouth, just know that I'm going to pull your giving records. Um, and, I, I pull, and I never do that. I pull the giving records. He gave $5 in one year. I said, all right. I sat down with him. I said, how you giving me? Going, I'm blessing the Lord. You know, he all deep and all of that. He got deep. He read all this stuff, right? Ain't serving in no ministry. Ain't under no authority and ain't gave no money. So I'm like, all right, what's up with the $5? <laughs> I said, you've been, you've been, yap it up, yap it up, yap it up. $5, dog. Well, you know, I, you know, I believe that you shouldn't let your right hand know what your left hand. I said, shut up. <laughs> I said, because in the Bible, giving was always public, even though the amounts were not proclaimed. I said, so stop it. I said, why haven't you? And he had no answer for me. Know why? Because he was punking out spiritually. And, so, and, and listen, listen, listen. You can complain about the church all you want, but if you're not helping and you're not obligating yourself, you say, well, the church always this, and the church don't do that. Listen, you got to help the church. I'm going to challenge you. You got to help the church be the church. And the church can't be the church without your commitment. You can church hop all you want. You can get on blogs, and you can talk talk all you want on Twitter. The pastors need to do this, and churches need to do this. But why don't you get your little rusty butt up and begin to give and resource the ministry so that the ministry can get give more ministry? And listen, we open our books and let you know where the resources are going. So all of our resources, I don't even see the offering. I don't touch the offering. The elders know that and the book managers know that. I'm just, it ain't about me though. We are inhibiting kingdom mission. We're in inner city church, but we don't want to have our hands out all the time. This church provided this. Hey, this church provided this. Hey, and you sitting back, well, man, since so much money being given to the ministry, you know, I can go ahead and buy me them new Jordans that's coming out, stand in line outside of Foot Locker for two hours. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. No, two days, rather. Miss, take off work, stand outside, right? I told you the last part going to be a little challenging because we haven't hit y'all up biblically. And a part of your love for the Lord is how your resources, resources work. Don't give me the, I've been in the place where the money's been tight. And there are more bills than bank account. I've been there. And I said to God, me and my wife, held hands, tears in our eyes. We said, listen, God, we're not, we're not trying to twist your arm, but we want to let you know we love you more than everything. And that you're not a bill, but you're a relationship. 
and, 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 we, and we want to see the kingdom go forward. But we do know that there are some principles in giving that you've placed in the scriptures where you said, you said seek your kingdom first. You said in your word, if we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. And so, God, we want to give to you. You do it. We, you know our needs better than we know it. And, God, we're going to give to you. Matter of fact, we're going to give more than we're supposed to give, and we're going to let you do the rest. And I, I should have journaled all of that stuff. And God took care of every single solitary need. As a matter of fact, one time, one time somebody wrote a $12,000 check for my wife's insurance. Out of nowhere. So many things like that happen. And I know this is not reformed and you're sounding more charismatic and all of that. I, don't, I ain't asking you to bring nothing up to the front. But I am telling you that God is going to do ministry through this church. And he has been doing ministry. And you've seen the ministry going through this church. And, it, and, and the good thing about it is it ain't about this church because we're trying to plant other ones. We're trying to see more leaders developed, thriving is happening. We're going to have 100 leaders here next, next month. We had, we had a 30 pastors here yesterday. We're going to have 300 men and women at the summit this fall. And that takes resources to get done. We're trying to bring on a new resident to plant in 24 months, July 1. Retrain is coming here so that we can, um, we can, by God's grace, be able to do that. And Moody Bible Institute, as confirmed last week, they're coming here so people can get undergrads and graduate degrees in Bible and theology to be able to go off and do ministry. That's what we're after. We're after this, we're after this summer program to, to see... Uh, uh, Kids connected within the neighborhood who are fatherless or who have families, who have challenges, and to be able to use physical means to be able to proclaim the gospel to them. So we don't have time to have $15 lines, $100 lines, $1,000 lines. We want sacrificial givers. If you can't give from your heart, don't give. But don't well, say, I'm not, but you know how we do. What's God? I don't know where my heart is right now, and I'm struggling with my heart, so I'm not going to give. You know how we do. We always but love the Lord through that. And I pray that this, this will be a covenant, just like for them, it's a covenant renewal. And that you will say, God, I want to, even though the new covenant is an everlasting covenant, I want to recommit my heart by faith to the new covenant in the way I respond to the death and burial and resurrection of Christ and how I live in light of that covenant. And that's why they said there will be no lack in the house of God. That's what they said. And so I pray today that that will be a part of our hearts and minds. Father, we honor you, bless you. For biblical resources, God, that you use for your glory, Lord. And we honor and praise you that you've been so good to us. I mean, you've been good to this ministry. I mean, <laughs> you've given us lots. You've given us facilities. You've given us salvation. You, somebody um, donated the baptismal. Somebody donated this air that we're enjoying today. Somebody donated. I mean, we got these chairs. I mean, you've been so good to us. And we've been, and the greatest gift that you've given us is Christ. We've been recipients of his grace. And we thank you for that eternal sacrifice. And so, God, I pray in Christ's name that you would, you would touch us today, touch hearts of the stingy. Touch the stingy heart. Because really, it's not really your, their money that you're after. You're after their heart. And many times the heart is a, the money is a deep sign of where our hearts are. 
And so, God, I pray that this wouldn't be the one where people check out on it, but that they would say, God, where's my heart in relation to this here? And, Lord God, I pray that they would repent and give their lives and their resources, everything in their life to you, just as you've given heaven's resources and unleashed them on us through Christ. Uh, God, bless the rest of our gathering as we take communion and close. In Jesus' name, amen.